and live from the internet, it's ZN Live. And we're very excited today to have a very special guest all the way from Iceland. This is Mike Klein. Mike is an expert at communication with over 20 years of experience. We've known each other for a long time. Mike has written a book on communication from Lincoln to LinkedIn. Um, and he's also been working uh, as a senior strategic advisor to Sparrow Connected. Uh, and of course, he works on a whole range of things. He's the one who promotes the hashtag we lead comms. And he's basically always thinking about communication challenges in the past, the future, and of course, the present. Um, and, and I want to start with one of the words that you like to use and, and a concept that I think is critical in today's world, which is the, the, the concept of a super connector. Uh, so, so, Mike, tell us, what is a super connector? Uh, are you one of them? And should we all become super connectors in this post-pandemic era? Well, I wouldn't recommend everybody to do anything. So I wouldn't necessarily say we all should become super connectors. But I think there's some advantages to being one both for ourselves and for the organizations and communities we work inside. Um, probably should tell you a little bit about what the term means before waxing on on its benefits. Basically, the idea of a super connector is an individual who actively makes introductions and connects people within the communities and within the organizations in which they operate. And when I started promoting the idea of super connection, it was explicitly to encourage communication professionals and particularly internal communication leaders to um, take the initiative to create a practice around the number of introductions they make in a week, in a month, in a year, so that this stops being some spontaneous, natural thing that people do to being an intentional initiative and being something that, that actually ends up adding more value than the standard communication work that we do, particularly within organizations. Right, and I think um, you know we work uh, with clients on creating ambassador programs where the idea is to build up their profile on social media and to then you know use their profile as an extension of their conversation. But of course, it's about developing uh, those specific digital skills. Uh, so maybe uh, one, one follow-up question is, um, you know, how digital is the super connector today? And how well are your clients typically doing at this? I mean, do you consider your clients very comfortable with this world, uh, struggling to figure out where to go with it? Uh, where, where do you think, uh, so, so how digital and, and how are they doing? Okay, let me break the, the, the question down. How digital? It doesn't have to be digital at all. It can be extremely digital. You could, you know, using a platform like the one I work with, Sparrow Connected, look using, you know, whatever platform, you know, LinkedIn, LinkedIn Sales Navigator, something like that. Obviously, putting two people together can be done on any kind of platform. Whatever is the most efficient way to do it is a good way to start because you then add the human element once the initial contact is made. Now, the challenge that organizations see is that it's not, you know, particularly the organizational communication folks see, is that it's not in their job description. And what we're seeing right now in the um, late pandemic world, and I say that because I got COVID about two months ago, so I wouldn't say that this is over by any means. But in the late pandemic world, there does, there's a desire to get as much 
output from communication and particularly internal communication folks as possible. And so if you're not measuring your connections, it's not seen as output by your organizations and it's not easy to consider part of your job. The reality is you connect people who don't know each other within an organization or community, you're adding an incredible amount of value. And at a time where people are working, you know, increasingly remotely or in the so-called hybrid approach, you have a lot of people who are working in an organization who've never met anybody. So the ability of an internal or indeed a corporate communicator to bring physically distant people together in an organization is a massive opportunity for value add. And I don't think organizations are embracing it just yet. I think they're still trying to figure out how to look at big audiences and how to how to get the maximum number of people to tick the box on a positive engagement score, on an engagement survey. What they're not realizing is that the audiences of two, the two people you need to connect, are at least as important. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. And, and you know, when you look at this um, late pandemic or post-pandemic world that, that we live in, uh, obviously, we've all experienced a kind of two-year period of online connection only, you know, with, with very, very limited face-to-face uh, -face and physical interaction. Um, and, of course, you know, most big organizations, big corporations have always been acting as remote networks since they were not, you know, they're never all in the same office. Uh, and the funny thing is that they're really using social networks internally. Uh, a lot of those social networks uh, internal to organizations tended to be very clunky. You know, I think that it, when you compare Facebook, Twitter or, or Instagram, or whatever, compared to the internal things that companies used to use, I think that was a pretty traumatic experience because you're, you're used to something, you know, pretty easy to use and, and engaging. And then you go to your company and some, something that can require training just to figure out how to work. This yep. is exactly what I tell people about Sparrow Connect and what I tell people about, you know, I've been working with internal comms vendors for the last 10 years. And the, the, the message that I continually make is that employees are not going to tolerate technology inside the office that's significantly more difficult to use than the technology that they're using in their normal interactions outside the office. Indeed, what happens is that you've got a lot of people migrating to outside the firewall tools like WhatsApp, like Slack, like, um, you know, even um, Facebook to conduct company business, which wreaks complete havoc from, yes. a, from an information security perspective. But the tools that the IT department want you to use are often too painful to be worth sacrificing the convenience of the of the unsafe but easy-to-use external tools. Yeah, and, you know, we've been working a lot using Microsoft tools. This is, like, something we decided to kind of dive into. Uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, we already had SharePoints and all that, but I think Teams came to life during the pandemic because, you know, suddenly you're using it all the time and you start seeing all sorts of possibilities. Um, what I think is interesting with those tools, and as I said, I've been more, more active with, with Teams and we've done a lot of work in the company, is that uh, you know when you start understanding what it can do and when you start using it deliberately, it's an incredibly powerful way to bring uh, people together uh, and to shape an organization's culture. Uh, and I think it's starting to to look a lot better. I, I actually think that you know we're seeing 
progress with these tools that used to be just a, a video conferencing thing, uh, you know, a, a th another version of Skype uh, into something that can really bring uh, people together. How, how successful do you think organizations have been in starting to really leverage these internal digital platforms to, to really do, you know, culture building and, and real engagement? Um, because, and I'll just, just finish with this, I, I, I was speaking to somebody at the commission um, and, you know, I'm sure everybody's not, it's not a situation for all, but they had no clue how to use Teams. They, they had to use it, but they were barely using the chat function. So for them, it was just a video conferencing tool. So all the other things were just not being used. And so they were feeling the whole remote experience really difficult because they couldn't do good communication. Well, you, you've highlighted three very distinct issues. One is the extent to which the native the, the, the native Microsoft suite tools can be exploited from a communication and collaboration sense. The second is the extent to which any of these tools requires expertise to go beyond the basic transactional function. So let's just talk about those two. In terms of Teams, Microsoft will tell you that Teams is not a communication tool. It's a collaboration tool. And it maxes out its effectiveness in an organization of a certain size. So in an organization of 100 people, teams may be sufficient to drive your communication needs and, and your collaboration needs, and that there's enough off-platform communication to put, the, to put the context and content around it for things to work. When you're dealing with an organization of a thousand or up, that may not be the case. I mean, that's the argument for a bespoke platform, or not a bespoke platform, but a a genuine internal comms platform, you know, like a Sparrow Connected, for instance. But the second piece of it, and it also factors into the whole conversation that I'm having about measurement at the moment as well, is that the tools are great, but a lot of times organizations only invest in the tools and they don't invest in the small amount of expertise required put the use of the, to put the use of those tools into a proper strategic context and the use into a proper strategic narrative. So what you happen is you buy this Ferrari, you don't know how to use the gear shift. You only know how to get it into the first gear. It's an improvement over what you had, but you're not anywhere getting anywhere near the full potential, nor can you drive it in the right direction. You can only drive it forward. So that's what I'm that's what I'm talking about here. I mean, the destination is important, the context is important, the strategy is important. A platform is not a strategy in and of itself. You know, absolutely. Uh, and coming back to measurements, um, I mean, this is obviously something that, you know, we've been talking about this for, you know, 15, 20 years. Um, you know, how do you measure the impact of communication? So how do you set your KPIs? How do you set your ROI? And I remember conversations with clients on ROI. You know, okay, we're going to spend X amount and get at Y. And in the end, Nobody really followed through on that. It was kind of like an exercise that you did, and then it just kind of became too difficult to uh, follow up and to measure. Um, where are we in your mind today with measurements? Are we able to use the technology to measure meaningful things? Uh, you know, that say, okay, we are a fantastic communication environment or uh, organization, and we measure those three things. And and you know, what are those three things? If if you have an answer to that. Um, and and how, how has measurement progressed in general? I think measurement's gone backwards in a lot of ways. And I think actually one of the reasons why it's gone backwards is the 
easy and quote-unquote free availability of embedded analytics in the various tools that are available. So you've got communication people who, by and large, are not either trained in terms of data or in terms of data narratives, and they're hired to do certain things. You look at a comms job description, and you're saying, experienced C-suite influencer, um, great writer, and then you're saying, self-sufficient and in design. Chances are you might get two out of the three. You're not even asking about measurement. Mm -hmm. You know, most comms jobs descriptions, none of them talk about measurement. But the reality is that unless you can actually make a case for the impact that you're making, you're vulnerable in a corporate context. And the problem is a click rate or an open rate or an amount of time that people linger on the post doesn't match up to internal rate of return or the numbers that are treated as hard numbers in an organization. And internal comms people and comms people in general don't have enough confidence in their numbers to be able to say that this number means something definitive so that the, so the C-suite can at least make the case themselves for why it's an investment. Now, my approach to, 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 to measurement comes at it from a completely different angle, which is I look for whether, you know, I ask two open-ended questions at the beginning of any measurement exercise internally. One is, what are the top three priorities facing the organization? And two is, what are individuals focusing on in terms of doing their jobs? As you ask those two questions, you then get a bunch of things that you can start to baseline some actual measurements on. Like, A, are people using, are people listing the right top three priorities? B, if they're not listing from your top three, what priorities are they listing? Are they their manager's priorities? Are they hidden priorities? Or are they perceived priorities? What language are they using? You know, are they saying, you know, the Delphi program, to talk about the Delphi transformation program, using Delphi as a typical grandiose brand example, or are they referring to it as the cost-cutting program? You know, you can measure all of this stuff. Words can equal data when you count them. So if you ask 200 people two open-ended questions, you get thousands of words that you can measure and turn into numbers. And then by using those numbers, you can then start to look at where do things go in a certain direction? What's getting mentioned this month? What isn't getting mentioned this month? You know, and then you can then start to, and also, is there a gap between what people are saying is important and what's actually being done. I've created, or really, I haven't created it. I'm one of the people who's created it. A new measure, a new kind of strategy framework for internal comms called do, know, feel, say. Traditionally, it's been about think, feel, do. You know, what should people think? What should they feel? What should they do? But the problem with think, feel, do is that it doesn't allow the strategist to differentiate between different audiences. When you focus on what people are supposed to do in an organization, then you can break the strategy down and break the measurement down based on the actions, the knowledge that they can demonstrate, the feelings that they share, and what you what they actually say and what people hear them say. Yeah, no, I think it's a very interesting framework. And I think you know one, one of the key things is to have a framework that you can set up roll out and test and, and then kind of improve from this. We, we've been doing a lot of work on measurement, um, you know, as part of our own company. We do it, of course, with our clients, but it's when you do it on your own organization, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's very challenging because 
you really have to figure out, okay, what's the point? You know, what am I trying to measure? Why? And how do these things connect? And I, I actually think that it's often the simplest things that give you the most interesting insights. So, you know, if you, for example, we did a campaign for, for corporates uh, where we had a rollout of a video, uh, you know, from some of the executives. And, you know, the simple question is, is everybody watching the video and do they engage with it? And if 10% of people do, eh, it's not working. But if you get to 80%, then maybe there's something. So you already know that people are kind of interested in that story. Um, and but, but I think the basic uh, idea is to try to bring it to something uh, simple to measure and, and simple and, and meaningful at the same time. But you, you, bring up, you bring up a fantastic example here about why the, you know, why the context of the numbers is absolutely crucial. So you may be getting 10% viewership. And instinctively, you may think that means 90% of pe people aren't engaging with the message. But if the 10% who are watching are the people who have influence internally, then yeah. you've got everybody that you need. And then you're actually activating the word of mouth, which activates the behaviors. So very few of the traditional, in particular, the, the click rate, open rate, and all that stuff, none of that measures audience quality. For sure. And if you can bring in audience quality to your measurements, you're going to have a completely different picture. Yeah, but in the in the specific case I was mentioning, actually, it was the one of the senior uh, people doing a short video on the values of the company and saying, this is why it matters to me. And the idea was to say, okay, because they were not sure that people understood the values, and the context of those values. So we, you know, first of all, you had to make sure it was delivered in a way that people connected with. And secondly, you wanted to see that they 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 cared enough about that message. So it was very interesting. We did a very low cost thing. We actually went with you know handheld camera, did a five minute clip, and that got more traction than all the corporate stuff that was being produced. So it was a very interesting experience that a low production, very simple thing with the right kind of thing got got some engagement. Uh, and, and, you know, yeah. Exactly. That's that's the other side of measurement is that when you get when you factor in baselining where you were before versus where you are after the intervention, it's much more valuable than just simply throwing numbers out, um, yeah. you know, with without a comparative context. And baselining is much more powerful, in my opinion, than benchmarking, because yeah. you look at the world in which we are now where you, are, you don't just simply have companies that operate in, in, in the same sectors. Companies that operate in the same sectors may have completely different cultures, completely different workplace strategies, completely different demographics. Tell me that ExxonMobil is directly com comparable to Total Energies. You can't. A French company, a Texas company, a company that's highly distributed, a company that's highly concentrated, you know, the, the difference between those companies is too profound to make any kind of meaningful comparison between the two. Yeah, no, I think that's a very good point. And we like to start each campaign by trying to see where, what's your starting point and how can you progress from there? Uh, so Justin is saying that going remote truly is difficult when the user base aren't adept in using technology. What more for developing countries trying to run their institutions through letter correspondence? And then we got Yusun saying uh, he'd like to have the opportunity to work for us. Well, you soon, uh, please check the website znconsulting.com and go to the contact link and you can uh, fill up a, a little form and we can we can check you out and, and see if we can find a way to work together. And I think, Justin, your point about remote, you know, we were discussing it's not about having the Ferrari, it's about how you can drive the Ferrari. 
Uh, and I think it's true. You need to have the right tools with people able to use them. Um, and, and I think actually the problem of not using the tools is, is all over the world. It's not something actually in some uh, third world countries, in fact, uh, developing countries, there's actually a, a, an uptake of mobile technology that sometimes massively outperforms uh, older, uh, wealthier countries. And it also it also really brings us back to super connection because if you've got a global organization, getting people who have skills at a at a peer level to train up their peers who don't have the skills can often be a lot more effective and a lot cheaper than rolling out a massive company wide training program. You know, if you this the, the starting point is. In an organization of 10,000, find the 300 people who make the biggest difference and then make sure that they've got the information and the skills to communicate and connect most effectively. Yeah. So now we have uh, our, our little recommendation slot. So let's. Uh... And we're back. <laughs> so, Mike, what are your recommendations? What do you think people need to read or what do you pay attention to to basically keep learning and keep improving in this uh, changing, forever changing environment? Well, I, I think there are a number of you know, tools. I think the key thing is to have a varied enough set of information points so that you can you can split the difference. Um, you know, be it about what's going on in internal communication or what's going on in the Middle East or what's going on in American or European politics. Um, the one real go-to source that I've been focusing on in the political world, because I also have a lot of political experience and, and follow it closely, is, is the Atlantic, which has really emerged as a standout voice for, um, you know, for lucid thinking. Um, about what's going on in the world, because there's so much alarmness coming from the political polls that you really need, for me, I consider myself a centrist, and I, I'm unapologetic about it. And the great thing about the, the Atlantic is that it looks at, the, at things going on from both perspectives and has definitive opinions about those things. Another source in the political world that I increasingly like is political because nobody really does as good of a job of summarizing what's going on every day than the political newsletters. Yeah, no, I think that they're, they're, they're great. And we interact with a lot of uh, political people uh, in our work. And I've actually started to read The Atlantic uh, for the last year. I've actually taken out a subscription. Uh, I love the fact that the pieces are much deeper than the typical news cycle. And they go from you know topical news stories to how you should organize your strategy in ordering a meal in a restaurant, something I just read about today. And the recommendation, which I strongly advise is get shared meals. Don't order a single dish for you, but get everybody to order dish, different dishes and share. And you have a, an economic advantage that they describe in the Atlantic. So I think it's a great piece and great. And that's, that's how we've been ordering Chinese food for decades. We just should do it with every other kind of food. Yeah, it's and my wife is from India, so obviously uh, she is, uh, you know, bringing that to uh, to Brussels, and I think it's a, a fantastic culture. Uh, what other places do you uh, recommend people to go? You have an internal comms recommendation and a comms uh, tool and a book. Well, I think in terms of of internal comms, I think in terms of thinkers in the space, I don't think there's a better thinker right now than Leandro Herrero, um, who runs something called 
the Chalfant project, which really looks at, you know, or reorganizing cultures and re-architecting cultures um, in a way that reflects the ways in which humans actually operate rather than the neatness and convenience of org charts. Um, Leandro publishes daily. He publishes great stuff daily. I don't know how he does it. Um, I find, you know, I publish my own blogs every two, three weeks. And he's doing comparable stuff or better stuff every day. So he'd be a good go-to point for that. I mean, the other, the other thing that I've really found a revelation in the last 48 hours, I finally bit the bullet and got a LinkedIn sales navigator package. It's the bomb. It's re, I mean, in terms of A, being able to use the, the, the LinkedIn feed, the, the con, you know, yeah, LinkedIn's got some personality issues, but the content you get from LinkedIn, the, 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 the native content, the stuff that people are sharing and the stuff that people are actually uh, producing themselves, all that, I mean, particularly in internal comms, it really still is the go-to place in internal comms. And what Sales Navigator allows me to do as an independent is actually reach out to the people who are following, yeah. um, which, you know, is starting to transform my business, which is great. Absolutely. So I'm going to end with uh, my book recommendation, which is The Almanac of Naval Ravikant. It's actually not a book written by him, but it's a summary of his thoughts. Uh, there's some great ideas. You can watch his blog and his, uh, sorry, his, his tweets and also his different interviews. But some great insights, I think, into business, success, thinking, leveraging, uh, which I think is fantastic. Uh, Mike, do you want to finish with your book suggestion? Sure. My book suggestion, I wrote it about 10 plus years ago. It's called From LinkedIn to LinkedIn. And the reason I still recommend the book is I made one decision during the writing of that book, which I think is really borne out really well, which is with the exception of LinkedIn itself, I didn't really reference too much about existing communication platforms because social it's the, it's also the 55 minute guide to social communication. What I wanted to talk to you about, what I wanted to talk about was the underlying patterns of social communication, social influence that have existed in communities and organizations from the beginning of time. And the reason why the title is from Lincoln to LinkedIn is because Abraham Lincoln had a set of organizing principles for political campaigns that's actually valid in any kind of a social and organizational context. And those four rules are um, make a perfect list of the voters. So decide who your universe is. Second, determine with certainty who those people support. So figure out where people are on the spectrum in terms of how they're oriented to the change or the activity that you're driving. For those who are undecided, send somebody in whom they trust to persuade them. This is the mother of most corporate communication fails, is in terms of source credibility. You got to find the source that the individuals trust, not the source that you trust. Most corporate messaging, you put out your CFO to talk about labor problems. That's the last person you want to put your to talk about labor problems. You want to get somebody friendly in the union to do it because that person will have some credibility with their fellow union members. And finally, turn out the good voters on election day. So what a lot of corporate communication activities do is they broadcast to everybody. And you end up, turn up turning out your opposition and that's why organizations lose. That's why 70% of, of change initiatives fail. 
because you're trying to exercise the people who are out to sabotage you. You don't need to do that. That's what the book is about. Fantastic. So we'll recommend it. We have a link uh, below. Thank you very much, Mike. Uh, that was very interesting, very insightful. And we'll continue this conversation online. Have a fantastic weekend in your nice and cool Iceland here. In Brussels. <laughs> it's 30 degrees plus. So uh, 13 yeah, degrees plus here. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. All right. Thank you, Mike. See you. You're very welcome. See you on LinkedIn and everywhere else. Thank you.